This podcast episode is brought to you by Topical Edge. Topical Edge is a cream that is intended to allow you to just train harder and race harder in your competitions. What is it? It's a lotion that you can put on your legs or your arms before you work out and before you race. And what it does is it goes in there and it helps you to buffer out lactic acid, which becomes the enemy when we're exercising. It basically sends a signal to our bodies to tell her, to tell it to slow down. If you'd like more information on how this stuff works, I'm telling you that it does. Jump on to topicaledge.com and you can go ahead and read about some of the studies that they've done. I can tell you from personal experience, it's something that I use in my training and my racing. I'm super happy to be using it and I'm even more excited that they've partnered on with me on this podcast and they've given me a code to go ahead and give you guys so that you guys can get in on this action and get a bit of a discount. So jump over to topicaledge.com, type in utmost performance under the discount code and go ahead and get 25% off of a single order or get 30% off if you decide to subscribe and just keep Topical Edge coming back and onto your doorstep on a regular basis. Thank you guys so much for your attention. And without further ado, Jeremy Powers interview. Thanks for tuning into the A Champion's Mind podcast. I'm here today with special guest Jeremy Powers, Jay Powers, who has been a professional cyclocross racer now for quite some time. So Jeremy just got back from a little bit of a windy ride, but you hustled home to make it on time for us. And uh, man, thank you so much for giving your time to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, I thank you for giving me a couple of minutes of extra wiggle room because of that strong headwind today in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a quick email from him said, Hey, I'm battling a 25 mile an hour headwind. Can we push it back 30 minutes? I said, sure, man. No worries, dude. I know what that's all about. So, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy, let's take it from the top, man. Can you take us to like, your beginnings in sport and maybe not even cycling, just sport in general. I mean, where'd you start out? Yeah, I started out in Connecticut. That's where I grew up in, in a small town called East Lyme in the village uh, called of Niantic is actually where I grew up. And I did a lot of different sports. Uh, I did baseball. I did soccer. I played football, although I hated it. Uh, I could not stand the football. I just slamming my head around and stuff like that. Just, my dad wanted me to play so badly and I just couldn't stand it. And yeah, in cycling, I did play basketball with friends. You know, I ran cross country and in high school, I was always very active and I like to do stuff, but I always was just kind of, you know, 13, 12, 13, I just started with the bike. And that was, I think it was pretty clear that that was the thing that I loved. Although I played baseball pretty seriously until I was 14 or 15, but the like the politics of it, where the parents of the kids were being selected for a lot of the things kind of drew me away from it. And it, I didn't feel like I could kind of make it in that system where there was so much, I don't know, there was so much that uh, it was leaning in one way. You know what I mean? Like they were saying like, well, you know, you're pretty good, but I, my kid's better. And so I think we're going to take him to the, uh, to the regionals or to the New England championships or whatever. So, so I got out of that and I just went all in on cycling. Awesome. What was it that you liked about the cycling? Like, what was it that drew you and you said, man, let's just go at this? Yeah, it was that sense that I think I probably might. So I should say that my grandfather was a really great baseball player and he would pick me up from school. His name was Doc. And he he actually was, I believe, and I'd have to ask my uncle on this, but I believe the story goes that he was drafted to the uh, to the Dodgers and back in the day. And then he ended up having to go to the, I think, the Korean War is how this went. And then he ended up becoming a boxer, but he was very much a sportsman. So yeah, in his older age, in his 60s, he would grab me from school because I went to school pretty far away from where I grew up. And then we would come back and I would pitch and I would throw the ball. And he would make me throw like 
heat all day. And I was just throwing the ball <laughs> over and over and over. And so, yeah, I guess when that, with that, it just didn't work out that, uh, that, that baseball was going to be the thing. Although I, I went really hard for it. Once I said that those like those politics happened, I, I think I kind of got angry with the idea that, that there wasn't going to be this opportunity in baseball that I thought was fair or that was going to allow me to get to the top. Although I disagree with that now, you know, if I had a different mindset, like, of course I could have gotten to the top of that sport, but the cycling was just so individual and I could control so much of it. And it was something that the other kids weren't doing and it gave me a chance to be alone, which is probably something that I benefited from being a total ADD case, which is a big part of my story is like having an insane amount of energy and not knowing where to put it. And baseball at that time, at least for me, it required a lot of instruction from coaches and sitting on the bench and, you know, playing different positions and all these things just didn't, um, they didn't really vibe with where I was at in my life and the amount of energy that I had. And so cycling was just this thing that I, I could just go and I could get lost and I could like get it all out, uh, every single bit of it. Yeah, man, you're right. That's a good fit. It's like here, pedal until you're tired and then come home, you know? Uh, yeah. And yeah. so yeah, just here, go, you know, go outside and go ride your bike for a while, right? It doesn't really go well with, okay, you know, I agree. I remember my baseball days okay, you're going to play center field and you're just going to stand there and the ball may not get hit to you. And you're like, dude, there's no action out here. You know, like, what am I going to do with, you know, with myself? But yeah, to go back to one of the points you made, I think was interesting, man, you talk about baseball and I did some baseball not to talk about myself, but I had the same mindset with the politics, right? Like I saw it in high school where I was like, ah, man, you know, it's, it's all about who, you know, and this and that. And I can't agree with you more about the fact that like looking at it now, I'm going, I could have still been a good baseball player if, you yeah. know, I had the right mindset back then, because let's face it. I mean, we're going to talk cycling here and there's a good fair amount of politics in cycling as well. There's politics <laughs> and everything. So it's kind of one of those things. It's like, you know, as kids, yeah, we see that as like a huge insurmountable obstacle that makes us pivot and maybe go somewhere else. But quite frankly, I mean, it exists in this case, the politics exists in other places as well. So, but yeah. uh, anyhow, yeah. yeah. So. I would just say to add to that, Mario, it was just so cycling was just so cool at that time that I was getting into it. And there were so many great people that were the sport was growing. And specifically, I was in mountain biking. But to be able to go out and to just go on a mountain bike ride with people and then work on your technical skills and then, you know, just literally go to a race and then be recognized and then like strive to make to get on a team and then develop on that team. All that stuff was it just felt so much more uh, attainable and real. And, and I think that it's much more individual, like it's on you, you know, with the coaches, it's like there is a certain bias that needs to be made. Like, well, we think this or we think that about you. Like if you if you can pitch 65 miles an hour, you know, as a 13 or 14 year old, it's like, wow, that's great. But if you throw some wild balls, then, you know, it's not like, let's work on those wild pitches. Cause that was true for me. I, I threw very fast, but I threw a lot of, a lot of balls that were outside anyone's range and they would hit the backstop. And so it was like, okay, what, how can we get, I always thought like, how can I get my focus more? And that was always the hardest thing was focusing. And it's actually a, a technique that I had learned, which was to just not think about anything. And I've kept that throughout my entire cycling career, right. As well as is when I'm in the zone, I just don't think about anything. I try to kind of like clear the, the chalkboard of anything that would be on it, thinking of my mind as a chalkboard, just kind of clearing it completely. And so I learned that through baseball, actually, and through pitching. But instead of working on that thing, and instead of me developing that thing, it just was, there are three other pitchers, and you're never going to pitch again, and you're not going to start. And so it just felt like a non-starter, which I think at that time was true. It's a, It's hard to think about it in a different way, but I remember it pretty well. And cycling was, no, you can take another shot at your intervals tomorrow. Or you can go back and ride that trail again. And there is a much more 
defined process that allowed me to get to the top of that sport. And uh, baseball was much more political. And so anyways. Yeah. Well, dude, let's camp here. I wasn't planning on camping here because this is baseball. This isn't even cycling. But <laughs> let me ask you this question, Jeremy. Like, do you think and this is something that that I like to kind of get out in some of the messages that I put out there as well, because, you know, coaches are integral and the system above and authority figures, especially for young people, you know, getting into any sport, it doesn't matter where they are right there. Young people are just moldable, right? I mean, I was a school teacher, like it's just you, you get these folks in front of you that you can just impact in a really positive or a negative way. Do you feel that some of the... I'm going to call it fixed mindset that you encountered in baseball wasn't maybe necessarily there in cycling. And in cycling, you felt more of a, dude, I'm in charge of my upward mobility. Like I can get to whatever level I would like to in the sport of cycling versus in baseball. Do you feel that the message that was being purveyed to you was more of a, oh, you don't really have the tools, quote unquote talent. So hence, this is going to be your ceiling, kind of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset with the cycling. Do you think that was, there's something there to that? or no i think that there are different i think there definitely are different things i mean i think that in baseball i think you do run into that i think that everyone thinks that you know if they get there and this is just human nature right to give your your kin like the best chance possible so you become the coach and then yeah it's you know you think about things differently well you know it's tim you know it's tim that's my son well tim but tim's best friend is you know ryan and so ryan's gonna get there whereas in in cycling it's more it's more cutthroat it's like can you do you know can you stick with the group or did you win this race and it just if you didn't then i think that you you, you know you won't have anything to stand on but if you did then you could easily go in there and you know in my case the team that i wanted to be on was a junior mountain bike team called team devo it was a goal that i had set when i was 12 13 years old seen this team i knew it was awesome it was like the premier junior mountain bike team at the time they had such a cool outfit they had these custom bikes they got oakley's all kinds of really cool stuff and i just knew that yeah the thing that i'm gonna do is i'm gonna reach out to this guy that owns the team i'm gonna send him snail mail letters you know because that's what we did and I'm going to basically just continue to keep him up to date with what I'm doing. And I sent him a lot of letters just, you know, every time I'd get a result that I was proud of, I'd send him the result. Hey, I got, you know, first at the Farmington, Connecticut mountain bike race in the junior 18 and under. I'm 13 years old. Like simple, you know, just this is what it is. And, and eventually I got on their like kind of like their development of development teams. Basically, they send you a jersey and they keep their eye on your results. And so you kind of, you know. But then I did a race uh, at Mount Snow and I knew he would be there. And I think I got like tw in the mid 20s there, but I was the first 14 year old and um, and he signed me up. And so that was kind of when I was on my way. And, and, that, and I think that it's all about a lot of people talk about being lucky. Sometimes you make your own luck. It's a combination of all those things, right? I had been training and doing my thing and like very focused and I had such good. I had I was just I loved mountain biking. It was so much fun and I don't regret anything. I think it's one door closes, another one opens. And that's so much of what cycling was for me is that, yeah, this baseball thing didn't work out or this other sports just weren't for me, like running, you know, whatever it was, they just didn't vibe for me. But cycling that I had such a smile on my face every time I rode my bike and I loved the adventure and the, and the, the freedom that it gave me and the challenge that it presented every time. So, you know, it's yeah. special. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Well, you became, I mean, cycling we're calling it you know generally cycling and you know there's a big there's a hodgepodge in there but at one point like you were doing mountain biking like you said like that was kind of the first you know the first thing you were really going hard at but then you jumped in you did road cycling and then cyclocross you had all three of these going on which is awesome like how did you as you had to kind of maybe niche down you know we see a lot of 
professionals, you know, you being one of them, that just they niche down. Like at some point, you can't be world tour, world pro level in mountain biking and road and cyclocross at the same time because seasons overlap and all that kind of stuff. So how did you go about the process of like starting to say, okay, I'm going to start leaning this way or that way, maybe some trial and error in there, I guess, trying to find what your niche was going to be. How did that all go about? Uh, yeah, it started, it started with mountain bike. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I was having, like I said, I had so much fun with mountain biking. I did dabble on the road, but it was all for training. It was all for training. Everything was training. I was just, you know, I was like a cat five on the, on the road. But cyclocross was there as a junior and I really had fun with cyclocross. And it was somewhere, I think cyclocross in particular, as I got older, really matched my skill set. As a junior, I did well in shorter races. Uh, I think that's twofold. I think one, because I think that that was genetically, I was probably gifted towards shorter races, a lot of fast twitch, punchy efforts. But I also think it had to do with that thing that I was saying with my, you know, a, ADD and the, the hyperactivity because my ability to concentrate for a long time has never been my strong suit. Even as a pro road racer, I, I missed out on winning a lot of races that were four hours long just because I, I lost interest. Like, yeah, I, you know, I daydreamed off and I forgot the finish line was there or something. So now I'm being pretty serious about that. That happened multiple times. So yeah, so I think that that's why mountain bike and cyclocross, mountain bike is a junior, the races were an hour long. But then as I got older and I started to come out of cyclocross, you know, the races were one, one hour is all cyclocross. Is, and it just really did match my the way that I'm wired as a human and, and, and my natural genetic skill set, I think, is also in there. Punchy efforts, you know, short one-hour racing. And, yeah, the road, you know, when I raced on the road, it was to make a living because in mountain biking, I'd said before, I'd gotten mononucleosis and mountain biking, kind of the contracts were starting to disappear. It was like we went through this huge boom in the early, no, definitely in the mid-90s, but I was getting, you know, I was turning pro. I think it was like 2002 that I turned pro mountain biking, 2001, 2002. And, and when I kind of went to go get a contract, there just wasn't the same, there wasn't the same level of contracts out there. There weren't the same amount. There weren't the same, you know, the races were kind of starting to dwindle a little bit and road was just going insane because of Lance and all of this momentum behind all these things that were going on with those guys. So I looked at it and I went from a five to a one in that next year. It was 2003. And I got signed by Jelly Belly the next year because they had a focus on under 25 development. And, um, and Danny Van Hout, the, the manager there, thought I'd be a good fit for their program at the recommendation of another rider that I, I'm friends with, Kirk Alvers. And so, so I went to Jelly Belly and I ended up doing 10 years there. And that was really cool because Jelly Belly was a domestic professional team. I grew into a role there. I learned so much. I developed my engine and I got to race cyclocross as well. And Danny never had a problem with that. And it really let me kind of, you know, flap my wings and get out there and do both of those sports full gas. And mountain biking obviously took a back seat, but I'm not, I don't think I ever would have been an Olympic mountain biker, even if I had focused on it. I think it's just the wrong type of effort for me. I think, I think cyclocross is truly where I should have been and what I was here for, you know, <laughs> like when I look back at it, my decision in 2012, 2000. 13 to go all in on cyclocross full time was the right choice for me. I'm, I'm happy that I stepped away when I did from road racing. Yeah. Where, so 10 years as a, as a road pro and you're dabbling in cyclocross, right? Mm -hmm. Two kind of questions spinning off of that. Number one, what kind of finally pushed you over the edge to decide to do the cyclocross thing full time? And number two, where was the sport of cyclocross on the map? for us here in the States, like where was it in 2012 when you did make that decision, right? Cause you're saying mountain bike was kind of hot. The coals kind of going cold on mountain biking road was blowing up, you know, Lance era, that whole thing. But where was cyclocross and all that? 
Yeah, obviously cyclocross was really big in Europe. It was huge. And you know, one thing, when I, was, when I was with Jelly Belly, I signed with them in 2004, but cyclocross was absolutely like my, that was the thing I wanted to do. I never actually really, I never ever had ambitions to do the Tour de France or stage races or anything like that. It was never, that's not what I woke up for. I woke up for cyclocross. That was what that was the thing that I loved. That was the thing that I wanted to do a lot of. The idea of training for four hours was not something that I had. I just, that wasn't what I was in the sport for. I wanted to just go hard for an hour all out. But I learned a lot of patience at that time. You know, there was, that was something that I think someone told me it was, I think it was Kevin Monaghan. But when I was younger, Kevin was a pro uh, riding for like 7UP and HealthNet and those teams. And I remember Kevin just being like, Jeremy, road is where you're going to make it. You need to seriously focus on road. This mountain biking thing is over for you. You should seriously invest in road racing because that's where you can make a living. And I remember being like, okay, let's do it. And I moved to Western Massachusetts where I live now. And a lot of riders were racing on the road. And so I learned, yeah, you need to be on your bike for 20, 25, 30 hours to make it as a road rider. And I remember those rides being so hard for me when I first got into it. I had to eat like every 20 minutes, just straight maltodextrin, like whatever. We would we would get a bag <laughs> of maltodextrin, melt it down, put some sugar, like put some sweetener in it. And I would just sip on straight sugar for every 20 minutes to make it through those rides because I just didn't have the... I didn't have the glycogen storage. I didn't have the depth. And yeah, I got the jelly belly camp and we did like a 25 or 30 hour week. And I was, I was shattered. I mean, I barely could ride four hours when I got on that team, even though I had been racing on the road and I had done well, I just, I just never had trained back to back to back to back four hours. And so it was all towards cyclocross. And I was going to say that I had this great opportunity in 2004 to go to Europe and to race. And that taught me everything that I really needed to know about cyclocross at that time, 2004, 2005. And I forget where I was going with that, but you had asked me originally why I stopped. That was the original question was why I had stopped racing on the road. So the reason that I stopped racing was because I got married to my longtime friend and now my wife for the last four, five years. Emily, we got married in 2013 and I told her that I would, uh, I was going to stop racing on the road. And that came from basically the sport of cyclocross being able to like fully make a living, you know, a really a good living, in fact, and that kind of the changes in the popularity of the sport and the amount of media and, and attention that we were getting my desire to focus specifically on cyclocross, right? I wanted to go all in and like bet on my strengths. You know, that's something that a lot of people talk about, especially as I got, you know, more towards like my thirties, I was like, man, I really need to focus on this and like make this my number one thing. I was national champion. Um, I just really felt like cyclocross was, was the thing that I was being pulled towards. And it was my, again, like I've said, my reason when I was doing the road races, I just felt like, I'm not going to win anything. I'm not making, you know, I'm getting in breakaways and big races, but the, the amount of the amount that I can grow as a rider from doing these races I've done and I've, I've learned what I needed to learn. And that's not to mention the crashes that I witnessed. You know, I witnessed a lot of really, really bad crashes when I was on the road, like people that, you know, aren't the same and never fully recovered or did recover, but only to, you know, three quarters of what they, the person they were. I remember watching Timmy Duggan in tour of Georgia, I believe, go down in the middle of a crack and just hit his head so, so hard. I was right behind him. And that's countless. I mean, I have a hundred stories like that one, but, but they all stick with me as being like, I got really lucky that that didn't happen to me in a race at that, you know, to that level. And so, yeah, you see enough of those. And I think when you're in the sport, it's, you know, it's not, if it's, it's when, you know, you will, you will eventually have a really bad crash. And I had some, I had some bad crashes, but never any that really took me out. And, um, yeah, I'm thankful for that. So those were the reasons that I stepped away. Again, I don't really remember why I was talking about going to Europe in 2004, 2005, but it will come back. It's all right, man. Just, uh, 
maybe a little too much maltodextrin on your ride today. <laughs> but uh, no, so like I think I think this is neat. I think you you talked about something that I want to make sure that, and I'll do this periodically, maybe throughout the podcast, as you drop something. I want to make sure the listeners don't miss out on this. And here's the deal: like you eventually landed the plane as a professional cyclocross racer. Like people that know Jeremy Powers. They may, I mean, those of us that know you a little bit better, we're like, yeah, he did time with Jelly Belly and, you know, yeah, he got started mountain biking, but a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people know the Jeremy Powers, the cyclocross racer, but I mean, as you take us through your career here, you didn't just show up and it's like Jeremy Powers making a living cyclocross racer. Boom. Here we go. It was, you kind of had to bide your time. I mean, you're racing on the road. You mentioned it. I I can't make a living racing cyclocross. So I'm going to do the road thing. There are some things about the road thing I don't like. I don't like 25 hours a week. I know that I fall asleep during races and I know that maybe my my chance of, of being successful aren't as high here. But this is what it is for right now. I'm just going to allow I'm just going to do the amount of cyclocross racing that my director on the road is going to allow me to do. And kind of little by little, I'm just kind of going to get a little bit more involved. And then all of a sudden, this door opens for you to be able to make that shift. So obviously, having to be patient for the right opportunity to come along and you met your bride, which is awesome, right? So all of these things came together to allow you to make that move. But it wasn't like. I'm going to quit my job today. I'm going to go do this. This is my dream. Like, I think that a lot of people become, our culture doesn't do a good job of explaining like, guys, that's not how it happens for a lot of people. For a lot of people, this is a long process where a lot of sacrifices are made to be able to arrive at a place that they eventually want to be. And so just want to make sure that people don't lose that point that, uh, that you just made. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I would add something to that, Mara, is that Everything in those years, those years, the, the 2004 and the 2005, I think you brought it up again. So those years were the years that I went to Europe and I raced on the national team with the road. I was assigned to Jelly Belly. I went to Europe. I raced with the national team on the road. And then I stayed in Europe and I lived there racing cyclocross in 2004 and 2005 full-time, six-month stints before you know, the only other rider over there from America was John Page at that time. And John and I didn't really talk. He he uh, he was kind of doing his own thing with his family. But really, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007 was the year that I got signed to Stu Thorne's CycleCrossWorld.com program. But those 04, 05, 06 years were really everything for me focused on cyclocross. It was the road was the thing that I did for training to get ready for the cyclocross season. Danny Van Hout put me in a lot of big stage races, and I did them all. Tour Georgia, tour you know, tour of Missouri. Uh, tour California, all of those races helped me grow as a rider and develop my engine. And yeah, in learn patience, because I had been having some success in cyclocross. I had won races, you know, I had done well. I was driving to most of them, very limited budget in those years, 04, 05, 06. But then when it all started to happen with Stu and Cyclocross World, in 2007, that was like my first, I consider that my first like professional cyclocross team. I had a lot of support behind me and I had, you know, mechanics and bikes were flown to wherever we were going and I was taking flights to races, etc. For cyclocross, that's when I feel like things started to really take off and, and, and it was liftoff for me. But, but I do want to say that while racing on the road was, you know, was really good for me, it was never my A focus. I always looked at cyclocross as being like, this is preparation for my cyclocross. And, but if I hadn't raced on the road, I would have never been able to have any of the success that I had in cyclocross. I believe that because I just wasn't the most naturally gifted athlete out there. I had to work really hard for, to develop my motor and to work on all those, you know, weaknesses that I had only racing on the road with way more experienced riders and gaining that depth and that 
you know, professionalism that you can only get from being around in a team environment like that allowed me to have the success that I had from, from 07 onward. Yeah. Cool. And then seeing the openness in that opportunity, not just saying, Oh man, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. Okay. I mean, this is terrible. So I'm just going to kind of <laughs> no put way. in my time and then I get to move on. You actually no. were looking for opportunities and saying, okay, how does this connect to cyclocross racing? How can I use this to make me a better cyclocross racer? And you've kind of alluded to some of the ways that that was able to do that. So yeah, that's awesome. Question here, as you went from, you know, amateur, right, to a professional, do you feel that you experienced a shift in your mindset at all? I think in 2007, I realized that there wasn't, there wasn't really like, for some reason, it just kind of hit me. You know, some stuff was changing in my family. You know, it was like my, my parents were splitting up and things were changing. And I thought in my head, okay, 2007 is like make or break it. Jay. You gotta, you gotta do this. Like you gotta, you gotta make it now. It, there's no, there's nothing that you're not going back home. We're not going to do this, you know, a different way. You need to, you need to make it. And, and I started winning. <laughs> I always in my, my whole life, my dad, both of my parents, my mom is very strong, uh, very strong opinion. She's a very strong person. She has, I have a lot of her mitochondria. My dad is, I don't <laughs> think my dad will say anything negative about anything ever. If there is a thing where it's like that house is burning down, he'll be like, this is going to make a beautiful lot. This is going to make a beautiful <laughs> lot. I'm going to, there's going to be a beautiful house here. Meanwhile, it's burning down, you know? So it's like, there's never, we never looked at the negative in a situation. It always was what's beautiful about what's happening in this situation. And that, and my mom is very strong with like, you will 100% apply. Do not waste your time, you know, make a decision and go with it. I mean, so with those things as kind of the, 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 uh, the foundation of where my mindset would have come from, you know, growing up when I was looking at, man, is my mindset shifting? I always woke up with this goal setting, positive, outgoing attitude, which I think is what, you know, is what a lot of people have seen from me over the years, whether it's been in videos or at races, you know, I like to make other people happy. And I also want to look out, I want to look out for everyone. And I want to try to make it an inclusive environment. And so positive mindset has been like something that I legitimately focus on. I mean, visualization, you know, repetition, all of those things. I really do subscribe to all those things because they were, they were big tools for me and, and they continue to be. When you have the, I'll say this to, to the question directly. When you have the maturity to understand how the six inches between your ears uh, allows you to be your best, that is a very powerful tool set to have at your disposal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, understanding the role that it plays. But the reason why I asked that question is because when we have somebody on, when I have somebody on the podcast that's like highly successful, you know. Usually the answer to the question, if you just had to answer it in one word, would be no. <laughs> and you've already told us about like 12 years old mountain bike team. You're just training really hard. You're really disciplined. What 12 year old is snail mailing, writing letters to a director of a team, mailing them off, telling them, Hey, I just did this. I just did that. I mean, that's stuff that we have trouble getting guys trying to get on U23 teams nowadays. We have trouble having them do that. Right. Yeah. And here you are at 12 with that kind of discipline mm. and that kind of work ethic. So. Generally, what we see, like when somebody becomes quote unquote professional, they've been looking at situations and failure and things like that in a certain way. And that's what's allowed them actually to be on the radar and give themselves an opportunity to be professionals. It's not like it's a switch all of a sudden and they say, oh, hey, I'm going to bump this up and I'm going to take this a little bit more seriously. More often than not, it's man, ever since I've known that that guy, like that guy's been an unbelievably hard worker. And mentioning a little bit about your parents, like 
your dad being very optimistic and your mom being very like pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you mm-hmm. put those two things together and you have an individual that goes, if the bootstraps break, well, my dad told me that I'd just buy another pair of shoelaces and he's going to hold that person back. Right. So it's like, uh, off you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So transitioning here, let's, we're going to, we're going to jump into cyclocross realm here, which is where you enjoyed your most success. You've won multiple national cyclocross championships at this point, and you've got another one coming up in a week, right? So stay tuned. But one of the things that I heard was the hardest thing about success is when somebody asks you to do it again, Mm. right? And multiple time champion means you've done it again. How is it that you're able to, and this speaks to consistency. So how is it that you've been able to perform at such a high level for such a long time? Now you've been in this game a long time and you've been successful for a long time. How do you feel you're able to do that? Repetition, <laughs> repetition and goal setting and the climb is are the things that I would just, you know, just rattle off. I mean, you know, repetition is for me the thing that I really found to be if I didn't do something well, then I said, okay, I'm not a great runner. I will run and I will repeat. I will, you know, just, I'll do it over and I'll do it again and I'll do it again and I'll do it again. The goal setting was every year it was something different. It's, I want to, it got all the way to, I want to be on the podium of a world cup. And unfortunately for me, that, that dream never came about. Although I looked at one in the face when I was riding in, you know, fifth, fourth place at the uh, Las Vegas World Cup. The first year it came, I was staring at, I was staring at the podium. I just, uh, I just didn't have the legs for it, but it's better to be in that position than to have never been in that position. I tell myself that a lot. And that's something that my buddy Brad Huff said. He's always said, yeah, you got to be in the position to do it, Jay, before you can do it. And that was true for me with my national titles many times. But to do something over, it's it's always different. Every year presented a different set of challenges, a different set of problems, a new group of riders, you know, riders that came up that that swung, you know, really hard at at me. And, um, you know, I looked at those like those five, six years uh, that I had, you know, done, I, I was very dominant in the United States. And then the sport has changed a lot in the last two years. But during that time, I started to focus on the World Cups. And I just constantly kept changing the goal. And, and I had like outer space goals, which, you know, was like world champion, which is way, way out there. And then I had closer goals, which was national champion. I always looked at the the repetition and the goal setting as the things that would make me stand out and really just the work ethic of it as well. Like I knew that if someone outworked me, then I was okay with the outcome. But in my peak, I felt very strongly that there wasn't anyone in the United States that was out, outworking me from a work ethic standpoint. And that's, you know, that's where someone like Stephen Hyde comes in that, you know, Anthony Clark, some of the riders that we've had a chance to work with showing them the depth or the work ethic or the way that we, you know, the amount that it takes to be there and then them having the maturity and the ability to take what we're telling them and use that formula to their benefit has been, has been very special for me to watch because I think whether or not I can look at every single result and be like, so happy for them because right we're competitors now all of us i still am happy that we were able to show them the amount of dedication that it would take to you know to master this trade yeah you've been a pioneer for that you know to jump forward quite a bit like talking about stephen hyde who's now over in europe right now doing his thing out there and and racing well like you know that was something that wasn't it was something that wasn't done with a lot of regularity when you kind of came along and all of a sudden it became more of a thing. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later. You've got, you, you've created pathways for those riders to be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, like the repetition is huge, right? Just doing the same thing over and over again. And like you said, I mean, there's always going to be something, 
there always has to be something because the minute that you're not improving, you know, you're getting slower and somebody's going to come behind you and somebody's going to go ahead and, and, you know, they're going to beat you. And so always having that mentality that there's always something out there to chase. And like you said, I mean, sure, you set these goals, even if you come up short on these goals, you don't think to yourself, wow, that was a wasted preparation to get there, mm. you know, because you were in the position to achieve them. You're thinking the opposite of that. You're thinking, man, if I wouldn't have set that goal and worked towards that, I, I probably wouldn't have even been anywhere close to being able to even touch and feel that particular goal. So it's always the chase. It's always wanting more and it's always chasing that success. So yeah, I mean, that's wise. And that's why you've been able to be so consistent. Yeah. What about like, I, 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 would, I would just add one last thing is that I love doing it. <laughs> you know, that's like, so that's all those things are like very serious. and like, yeah, it's very driven. But the thing that I think I really love is I just loved doing it. You know, it kept it fun. It kept it really kept me inspired. It kept me moving. And I just loved the challenge of all of these different things, like being this ultimate warrior of a cyclist, right? Like needing to run, needing to carry a 30 pound heavy muddy bike with 10 pounds of mud on your shoes and, and hit these ruts this certain way. And then, you know, and like, and do it every single seven minutes, like you get another shot at it. That's a, that's what a lap time is. I just found that challenge to be so much fun. And I loved, I absolutely loved the, the challenge that each you race, you know, uniquely presented itself as it's like, this race is more climbing. This race is more technical. This race has mud. This race is super fast. This race is, you know, whatever. It's just uh, at altitude. I mean, there's, you can nerd out on it so hard and I certainly have, but I think it is really, really important in all this stuff that I just say that, you know, it all was so much fun for me and I continue to enjoy it to this day, but that without that, none of those other things are really possible. It's just such a, it can be a, such a hard sport and it, you don't make a million dollars doing it. So it is, you know, while you can make a good living at the top, 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 it takes incredible dedication and patience to get to that point. And so you got to have fun doing it and you got to really enjoy it while it's all happening. Yeah. Let's back up a little bit here. You said something interesting. You're talking about you having to lift the bike, you having to run, you having to navigate the course, right? You're talking about those kinds of things. So it sounds like you're thinking about yourself and how you relate to the physical barriers actually that are actually put out there on the cyclocross course for you to be able to navigate. Where do the other competitors fit in there? Because you don't mention them when you're talking about having fun. So where do they fit into this equation? Are you focusing on them or are you doing your own thing and then they happen to be around so you deal with them as you deal with them? Like how does that mindset play out for you in a race? As an American in an international sport, you know, we really, I focused on, well, Adam Meyerson was a coach or a mentor of mine when I was younger. And one of the things that he told me was uh, never worry about what else, what someone else is doing. Uh, that is the first person to ever tell me that. Many people have told me that, but, but, but you've heard that from other people. And that that's true because I've watched the careers of a lot of different riders that I raced against go in different directions. You know, some won these races, some won these races, some developed early, some got burnt out, some didn't. And so, you know, you can never worry about what the other riders are doing. You just have to focus on yourself, right? A hundred percent of what I could give in running, you know, that was, that felt like it was significant for me. So I never worried about what the other riders were doing. I just knew that at the beginning of the season that I was going to crap my pants because I 
always wanted to be the most prepared as I came into it. You know, I wanted to have, you know, a bunch of 30 hour weeks. I wanted to have really good interval sessions. I wanted to have the motor pacing. And I just knew that there were parameters in my training that I, you know, really was focused on it just as I am right now this week. I mean, I just did a workout where I, I'm very focused on the numbers. I'm very focused on the feel. I'm very focused on how I'm sleeping. I'm writing down tons of metrics so that my coach and I can make the best decisions as I lead into this national championship that we have on Sunday. I enjoyed all of that. And I never worried. I, it was, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this too, but it is the process that's just as important. Whether I win this race this weekend or I won any of these races that I've won, I always thought in my head, yeah, this is what it's about, right? It's about going out there and giving my absolute best, which it sounds awfully cliche, but it really is that. You know, today I did a workout that I did numbers that were very similar to much better than other national championships that I've won, but similar to my 2016 power profiles. And that, to me, gives me a lot of confidence and it gives me a lot of momentum as I head into this weekend mentally and, and physically. I feel strong. And that, for me, is, is as much of it as anything. It's like maybe Stephen, Tobin, Kerry, the other riders that we're going to be racing against this weekend, Jamie Driscoll, they may be doing a better job, but I know that in my head, I got back to the level that I wanted to be at, that I was able to win at before. And that's close to my most powerful that I've been and, and my, my healthiest that I've been. And so for that reason alone, then I feel like I did great work here and it's mission accomplished. Whether the chess pieces fall as they will, right? You can never worry about what the others are doing. And that's more domestically. Internationally, I always, always, always adjusted my expectations because you're talking about the best riders in the world. And if you're in the top 10 of a World Cup, you're racing against literally everyone in that in that field has either been a world champion or a national champion. And at the World Cup level, cyclocross is very is very, very heavy in the top, you know, in the top 50, truthfully, but in the top 25 and the top 15, it just, you know, there's some heavy hitters. And so you have to realize and you have to give respect to the riders that you're racing against, because uh, if you don't, you're going to be really sadly <laughs> uh, disappointed in, in, in the outcome, because those riders are, you know, uh, Matthew Vanderpoel and Wood Van Air and uh, the riders that are at the top right now are they're extremely talented. Yeah, I can pretty much do a mic drop at this point. You got Jeremy Powers multiple time national champion extreme success goes across upon racing in Europe and let's come on you were duking it out with those you know with those guys back in your day you were there yes. and you were competitive so but what are you talking about here you just mentioned plug into the process you know give my best right if you've listened to this podcast enough times some of the people that I've brought on here they're they're pretty high profile people and they all seem to say the same thing it works, right? Like focus on being your best. And like you said, chess pieces, there's a lot of chess pieces, especially in cyclocross. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong for you. And there's a lot of things that can go right for the other guy or vice versa, right? So sometimes you just got to, you've got to give that up and you've got to just let the uncontrollables fall where they may. But, you know, one of the quotes that I pulled up, Stephen Hyde had an article, a write-up about him racing over in Belgium and beautiful quote. He said, there's nothing I can do with other people's expectations, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, just bottom line, you know, here's the deal. It's me against myself. You know, I mean, everybody else may think this or that. I should be here or there. I should be able to do this thing or that thing or not be able to do this thing or that thing. But those things are outside of my control. I need to focus on myself. So there you go, two of the best cyclocross racers right there giving that to us as sound wisdom, right? Jeremy, have there been times, has there, has there ever been a time during your career where you felt to yourself like, man, I don't know if this is for me, like this is starting to just get really heavy and maybe, maybe the, the pro thing isn't in the cards for me, or maybe I should, you know, bow out. Like, 
have you had moments like that? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you talk to any pro that says that they didn't consider, you know, stopping, they'd be lying. But I will say that I've been very fortunate in the people that I've had and considered good friends of mine to ask for advice and to pick me up when I'm down or to look at the positive. And I speak a lot to, you know, the mindset into how powerful it is. And one thing that I can say for myself, that's definitely true is the same way that I can tell myself that mentally I am very strong and I'm powerful and I'm great. And all of these things that I tell to myself, right. It sounds to someone that's listening fairly narcissistic, right. But it's not, it's really just, that's for me to hear in my head. That's those are the positive, you know, affirmations that I'll tell myself to, to perform at my best. That doesn't mean that I'm outwardly putting them out there and saying them in an interview and thinking that about myself and, you know, putting everyone else down. No, I'm just saying those things to myself because they're positive. And I, and you know, if you're in a race and you have something happen and, and, and it's going poorly and you say, I'm bad, I stink, I suck, I'm not good, right? Versus I'm great, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Those are, those are two totally different mindsets that will have to- two totally different outcomes. But with that, I think that in those times of indecision or in those times of not being able to take that that big high, you know, macro look at your, your career and what's happened. You rely on friends and you ask family and they pick you up when you're, you know, when you've had a hard go at something. And, um, and, you know, last year, I think I felt like there was a lot of pressure to perform internally, especially on myself. It was the first year that I had signed additional riders. We had an increased staff. I came out swinging at the first race. I won the first race back to back. And then I injured my ribs and the whole season, you know, for me, Steven had a great race, a uh, great season, sorry. Uh, and I got second to him four or five times. So that looked like, yeah, Jeremy's not having a really great year. You know, did I not have a great year? Did I pick myself up or did I get beat by someone that, you know, was able to work harder and, and outworked me? And I think that that's more the case. It's not that I think I had a bad year. I think Steven had a great year. I think I had a, I think I had a fine year. I don't think I had my best year, but that doesn't take anything away from him. But if I got caught up in that, which certainly at times I did, like, I can't believe I, I haven't beaten Steven yet. Like I just, you know, he was just very dominant last year, but that's the thing about being at the top is that it's, there's never, you're never always going to be at the top and someone's always going to want your head. And the more that you play into that notion of this is the only thing that I am, I'm only going to, if I don't win, then I'm not any good. That's a really bad street to be on. And, um, and I learned that probably in the, in the hardest way, which was that I felt like I prepared really well for last season. I came into the season, I got an injury, and then everyone's expectation of me was that I would win everything. And the only story they could tell wasn't that I got injured or this or that. It was just that I wasn't winning anymore. And so for me, I had to do some soul searching in the end, I'm still really proud of all of the races. I'm proud of all the things that we've done. And I'm really happy that I went through that experience because it's really, it isn't, again, all about winning. It's about doing the best, which is the process. And I don't think I would have learned that if I had just said, you know what, I'm good. I won, you know, my national titles and I'm out. Like if I had just decided that I was going to stop racing, I don't think I would have ever learned that lesson of having to fight for it as much as I have in the last two years as um, come up against another generation of riders, really, because the riders that I'm racing against today are, in a lot of cases, more than 10 years younger than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's science there, right? Like it's called, (laughs) they're just younger and they've got more, there's more cells alive Mm. in their body, which means they recover faster. And there's just, let's just face it, man, we're getting old myself too. (laughs) Hey, that means we slow down a little bit, right? But just a couple of things. I mean, Wait a minute. So what you're saying is 
Like, it's not all about winning. Like, what you're saying is, like, the T-shirt with, if you're not first, you're last, you know, like, like all that. Like, that's just a bunch of baloney. And, dude, I, I echo that sentiment, you know. You're not going to stay on the top of that mountain forever. And, therefore, if you have that expectation that you always need to win, then good luck with that. Good luck with your longevity in the sport. Good luck with your enjoyment in the sport because, there's going to come a day, probably sooner rather than later, no matter how good you think you are, where you're going to reach that point where you're not winning. Now, somebody would maybe say, well, you know, this dude over here, he wins everything. To the second point, one of the second points that you made that I want to make sure that I bring out is like you said, if there's a professional that hasn't come to the point, you know, where they feel they're at the end of the rope and they need to walk away. The reason why professionals get to that point is because they set goals that are like, if I stand on a stool, I can just barely get up on that cabinet and reach that cookie, right? Like it's right there, but it seems so far away. And like when you do that and you have to stretch yourself so much, then there's going to become, there's going to come that point where you're like, dude, I'm giving a hundred percent right now. And I don't see this happening for me. That means that's a good goal because it's getting you to be the best version of yourself which means some of that doubt is going to start creeping in. So to the guy that's always winning every single race, my question to that person would be, dude, like you maybe need to stretch yourself a little bit more, right? Like, sure, you know, to take you as an example, like you can keep cleaning up in the United States. I mean, you can do that. Oh, but wait a minute. Like, hey, there's better action out there. Like, I know what this may mean. You know, like you said, I mean, I know I've got to, you know, look at my expectations maybe a little bit differently when I go race in Europe. But man, I'm about being the best version of myself and that's how I'm going to get to that point. So let's go. Let's do it. And it's exactly what you did. Right. So just a difference in mindset there between, you know, somebody being protective of that fixed mindset, the winning and somebody saying, hey, you know what? In order for me to get stretched, I probably need to get in the ring with somebody who's a little bit better than me because they're going to actually help me to extract a higher level of performance. Definitely. Yeah. I think that those years that I raced the World Cup, the entire World Cup, uh, 2014 season, I ended up finishing ninth overall is a huge deal to me because it showed a level of consistency and it meant it meant five or four or five international flights that season uh, while still racing here, which was, you know, a lot of people do associate me <laughs> with, uh, with racing here and doing well in the United States. And there was, that was, there was a reason for that. It was sponsorship related as well as, you know, feeling like I needed to invest in American cyclocross as much as I was in international cyclocross. And I've you know built a lot of my career around making sure that the sport here was healthy. And I felt like I was contributing to the growth and to the continued um, like excitement around the sport. And, and also pushing the riders here to be at that international level. So even though I wasn't, you know, my best results hang around six to 10th place in the World Cups. Those are those I got basically every place, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. I got all those places in the World Cups. But what I was going to say is that those were my world class rides. Those were the best rides that I that I could have done. And I feel like I worked my absolute hardest and I peaked and I was at a really good level for all of those races. Some suited me better than others and I did well in them. But I really do believe that I gave a hundred percent of myself and, and at the end of the day, I think anyone can say, like, what more could you have asked for? Like if, if first was possible, well then I probably would have gotten first. But you know, I think really those results that I did get over there were the best that I could do. And the racing here was because of my you know, personal ambition, but also for my sponsors to see me do well here and to continue to grow this sport. I think, I think it had a, I think it really did mean something. I think that we're in a good position with the sport here in the United States. And I think that not just myself, a lot of riders contributed to that, but I think it was important that 
we didn't just all sail off to Europe and just race in Europe. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like what you said there. You're like, yeah, you know, I got sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. You know, if I would could have gotten first, then I would have, right? <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, they for you to go over there. I mean, I don't know that if you're listening to this podcast, like guys, I, I mean, watch some European cyclocross racing. It is, it's bananas. I mean, it is like the thing going on. You know, it's such a huge spectacle. Every race, it's just, it's in their DNA. It's in their blood. It's what they do. You're going over there and it's just a huge transition for you and you're going all in. You know, you're, you're given everything you've got. And, you know, for people to be like, Oh, well, for you to go over there and say, man, I got sixth. I'm disappointed. I mean, the mindset is, Hey, if I could have gotten fifth, I would have gotten that. If I could have gotten fourth, I would have gotten that too. I mean, third is better than fourth, so I'll take that. Like, second's better. I mean, first is even better than that. So, you know, when people look at, like, a result and, and you see that, it's like, dude, we're spinning wheels out. Like, that's all we had to give. And so many athletes get disappointed with a particular performance. And so my question is, like, my pushback is, what, did you give up? Did you all of a sudden back off? Like, was it your buddy and you let him have it? Or, or like, what was going on there? And And that's never the answer. It's always... No, that was full gas. And it's like, so if it was full gas, let's use rational thought here. That means that you were supposed to finish sixth, not fifth. So how can you be disappointed with that, right? If you gave everything you had, then how can you be disappointed with the fifth? Because if it was there for the taking, you would have taken it if you had the ability and the legs on that particular day to be able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Let's talk about, Jeremy, jumping across. You jump across the pond, you're out there, you're doing the thing, World Cup, like, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Was it scary for you to do that? Like, what was, but you had done some national team stuff already, so what was the thought process going there? Racing cyclocross in Europe? Yeah, yeah. just when you said, man, I'm going to go yeah. do, like, 2014, going to do the World Cup, yeah. you know, the, the full calendar, like, I'm in, I think, this is I it. think it will probably, I think, you know, at that time, I was very well funded, I was making a good living, my wife traveled that year with me, I mean, I had a lot of support in that year, which you need, <laughs> if you're going to ride in the top 10 of the World Cup overall, it's like, you really do need a huge support base and structure and friends and excellent mechanics and stability on the ground. USA Cycling, everybody put a lot of energy into that. And I, you know, and it, truthfully, I remember the last race of that series was in Hoogerheide, the Netherlands, which is also where the finals are this year. And I remember I was riding like maybe like 15th place and like Francis Moray and some other Swiss riders right in front of me. And they were also like kind of mulling around that, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 place in the overall. I remember being like, I got to beat these guys. This is going to mean something to me. And I just like remember going all in <laughs> and I got 13. And I was really, really happy with that result because that is such a insanely hard course with so many different features and so many different things. Running up, down, huge ruts, off camber, slimy, dirt. It was literally mud shit everywhere is like the way that I would describe that race. And so in that chaos to still be able to ride a respectable 13th place and then lock up that, that ninth overall is, is just, I'm really, really happy with that result. It meant a lot to me to get that overall because it showed a, it showed consistency and it was a goal of mine to be in the top 10 of the world cup that year. So, but I would take the listeners back to 2004 when I made that decision to go over to Europe. And then when I went there, I decided I was going to stay there and, and make a, and live there. That, um, 
that decision was very, very, I wouldn't say rash, but it was just, I was 19 years old and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because this is what needs to be done. If I want to learn about cyclocross and I want to be the best at cyclocross, then I need to be in Europe. And that's what I'm doing. And I remember telling my mom that that's how it was going to go down. She helped me. We set it up with Noel who ran the under 23 national team, Jeff Proctor, who runs the Euro cross camp now works for USA cycling in a advisory role for USA cycling. He was the one that kind of started this whole thing. Jelly Belly, Noel, all these people kind of came together and it opened this opportunity, which I would call somewhat luck. And I went there and I lived there alone in this house in a place that I didn't know. And that experience, I have my diary from that and I can read back and I can see that like, you know, I cried at night. Like I was so lonely. I was hurting badly, but at the races, I came alive and I just wanted to learn more about the technique and the trade and the way that I needed to train and listen and take it in. And, you know, it just was a really interesting time in my life. I was, I was nervous to be there alone. I was also the, you know, the, the world was just an open plate for me. It was just like, I could do anything I wanted. And I just had to learn this sport of cyclocross and, and really put myself in that position. And I'd say for the riders that are listening to this or for the people that are considering something in a different you know realm, but it applies the same. It's like, you know, I didn't have anything to lose and there was no, there was no risk really for me. It's like, I was doing it on the cheap and I was just, I just put myself in a situation to learn as much as I possibly could without any expectation of an outcome. I knew I wasn't going to be the best rider. I knew that I didn't have any expectation. I knew it was my last year as an under 23. And I ended up doing pretty well. I got 17th, I think at the world championships or somewhere, maybe 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. I rode onto the podium in a couple under 23 races. I met a lot of the racers that I raced against internationally. Simon Zahner, uh, Radomir Simonek. You know, all of these riders that I had that were born in 19, you know, 82, 3, 4, I raced against and, and gained their respect for being over there. And that was pretty cool. You know, I think that that whole experience for me was probably the reason that I had the success on top of those other things that I said, the road racing, all that, but really going there, living there, making that sacrifice, which I would not underestimate as being like massive, at least for me. My friends were at college tearing it up on the ice luge having parties with their girlfriends <laughs> and I was living in a place that I didn't speak the language and I knew nobody like a monk. <laughs> it was just like way yeah. different, you know, to look at those pictures on Flickr and to get those emails about how much fun they were having. And the thing that I did, I will say that, you know, you should never do it if it feels like a sacrifice, but at that time it felt like a sacrifice, but it felt like a sacrifice that I wanted to make. And that's, uh, that's important to, you know, to delineate from the, from just it being a sacrifice. Cause I don't, so if, if cycling feels like a sacrifice, it's maybe it's maybe not for you because it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. But that was one that felt like a sacrifice. But I knew the outcome was so good. It was like it was like my college education in cycling. Yeah. Well, I'll throw like this might help because this doesn't have the word sacrifice in it. You know, I like to say discipline mm. is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Mm. Right. So like you're thinking to yourself, you know what I want now turn it up on the luge, having parties, college, <laughs> but what do I want, you know, what do I want most? Like, I want to take this cyclocross thing as far as possible. So guess what? I'm going to move over to Belgium and, you know, or Europe, and I'm going to go race, and I'm going to look back on a journal in however many years and, and see that I cried myself to sleep. Like, this was just stretching me really thin. But like you said, then you got to the races, and you were like, oh, wait a minute, this is what I want most, mm -hmm. right? So... Forget about the fact that like I just had a miserable day being away from my friends and family. 
like I'm on the cyclocross course now. Now I'm alive again, <laughs> you know, and I like the way you put that about being alive. So, yeah. you know, it's just uh, it's having to make those kinds of decisions that really all professionals have to make at some point. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you one story just because we're like, we're getting kind of serious. I'm going to tell you this one story. So the first, one of the first <laughs> weeks that I'm in Belgium, I'm over there and it starts doing the Belgian thing where it just rains every single day, but they got this cold front and I go out and Noel had told me, yeah, go out on the canal. You'll, you'll run into Ghent. It's like a hundred Ks away. And I said, okay, fine. And I'm thinking in my head, there's can't be that many canals in Belgium. So I'm just going down the canal. I'm just rolling, you know, and I realized now <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, two and a half hours away and I didn't hit Ghent. And I'm thinking, no, oh, sure. I mean, I felt like I was going, you know, at least. He's fast enough to hit and guess. So I kind of get turned around and I start coming back and I can just tell that it's getting colder and colder. And then it starts snowing and it starts snowing and it was so cold. I like couldn't feel my hands or my feet or my face. And I remember going into this town again, I don't speak English is 2004. So it's, we don't have like the talking to your iPhone, let it change the language and like figure something out. No. So I go into this bakery and I just basically through pointing and saying the name of the town that I was in, we got me to a place where I was sitting in front of like a, a propane heater while I was waiting for a black limousine from Brussels to come and get me and take my butt back to Izaga. I remember being like so embarrassed that I gotten this lost and that I gotten so caught out because the Belgians are like really serious about the training. They're really serious about everything. And I knew that if Noel had found out that I had to take a cab home, that I was going to get my ass chewed. And so I told him, like, listen, this is what we're going to do. You're going to park around the corner. I'm going to go get – I'm going to leave my bike in the back, and I'm going to get the money. I'm going to come back out here. I'm going to pay you, and then I'm going to get my bike, and I'm going to ride in. He was like, sounds good. So I went, I got my 100, I got my 100 euros, and I rode back in, and Noel came in not five minutes after. I was like, how was your ride? And I was like, it was fantastic. It's fantastic. Again, it was beautiful, and everything was great. <laughs> we just went on. Oh. That's how it goes. You, sometimes oh. you got to do a little white lie. The ride was great. I just that, didn't. I just didn't know how to get home, and I was so far away from home that there was never going to be a situation where I found my way back or didn't die of hypothermia in between. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got into you got into <laughs> two and a half hours, right? I mean, that's close. That's close enough to one hundred. It was more than I mean, that. It was know, way it, more than that. But yes, it was. Yeah, if training peaks was around back then, the box would have turned green, right? So I mean, we're good. We're all right. We got it in. So. so Jeremy, another question for you. This is kind of a cool one. Old Jeremy is sitting in a chair across from young Jeremy. What would old Jeremy tell young Jeremy? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, I'm very type A about a lot of things. And I think that the people that know me best know that I, I'm very particular about how, especially my training and how things go and the, the environment that I'm putting myself in. I'd probably tell myself to chill out a little bit. But the funny thing is that I sit here and I'm like, nah, I would have never listened. <laughs> I, I, I would say that I very much enjoy looking back at the things that I've done. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about doing the day in the life show that we had called Behind the Barriers, which is still continuing, is that I do get to go back and kind of transplant myself in that time and in the headspace that I was in. And I remember all of those things. I don't remember them vividly, but when I watch the video, it takes me back to a time and to a place that I was in. And because I do journal a lot and I write, you know, to myself, I can remind myself of what was going on in my life or what that experience was like and how things went. And I think that that really is, again, like it's all educational. It's all growth. It's all personal growth. So I would definitely tell myself to enjoy it a little bit more. I definitely enjoyed it, man. I mean, I think some of my greatest things that I was able to do was bring my friends along for the ride and have them be a part of my racing and the things that I was able to do, the cool things that I was able to do going to foreign countries and doing this racing, especially in my last 
you know, when I focused specifically on cyclocross, I got to take a lot of my friends with me to, to do this thing. And, you know, I think that that to just enjoy it as much as you possibly can, because when cycling is going good, it's a, it's just, it's such a beautiful sport. And when you're, when you're at the top, it's just, there isn't anything that's, I don't think there's anything that I've experienced in my life that's as, that's as precious or as fun or as beautiful as having all those things kind of in sync, you know, riding well, getting good results, having the praise of your fans and sponsors and just doing good work. It's a really beautiful and, you know, kind of intoxicating thing to be a part of. Yeah, dude, but touche for you for totally just, but I don't think young Jay Powell would have listened to old Jay Powell. Like, dude, that you totally shot that question down. I hadn't had anybody give me that yet. And I'm like, you know what? He's absolutely right, man. Like, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old little guy, he ain't going to listen to, like, you know, the older, wiser guy. Like, that's that's a whole reason why we're young and dumb, well, you know? So, man, that, you, that was that was. You good. do have to go uh, through it, though. You have to go through these things to learn them on your own. I mean, I'm doing that right now with one of the riders that I have signed to our team, Spencer Petrov. I mean, I just had a conversation with him yesterday where I, you know, as we come into this week of the national championships, I just tried to explain to him that, if Spencer didn't win a national title for 10 more years, he's already won one as a junior. But if he didn't win one for 10 more years, he would only get to the place where I won my first national title. And that's the word that I use is patience. Like, you think that this is all so much in your face right now and all of these things are so important. You only have this moment to shine. And I just wish that I could instill this, this, this small amount of patience and this less serious more fun outlook like go out there and just do your thing because really that's that is like we said that is that is all you can do you can control variables and you can be serious about things and that's important up to a certain point and then it's just and then it's detrimental it's a bell curve that's the thing that i would say that i've taken it to the other side of the bell curve way too many times and a lot of the races the championships especially the big races that i didn't perform well in they come because of that inability to control that monkey and and, and deal with that being on too too far in the red you know too far on the other side of the bell curve so you got to have fun with it too you really do yeah absolutely it's like oh I've got to have it right now. And it's like, oh, but wait, did you not just see that thing that you missed? Oh, of course you didn't. You're so fixated on this yeah. thing that you didn't notice that all of this other stuff has been presented to you, experiences, circumstances, so that you could actually learn and be in a position a little bit later to get that thing that you want. Again, if that thing that you wanted was for you, you would have had it already, right. right? And so understanding the role that time plays in the achievement of goals and success and performance and all those good things. Man, I'm glad you mentioned it. I want to talk about it because it's an awesome video series, Behind the Barriers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And what was your like? What was your mindset behind starting that up? I knew that writing was not my medium. Uh, I knew that I could write and I did write. It just is so much energy went into writing for me that I was always feeling like, man, I just like to talk to people. I want to just interview people. I want to be kind of wild and nutty like I am normally. And I want to just, you know, let my personality go. And I want to document this journey. And I want, you know, because cycling or specifically cyclocross isn't a sport that has an insane amount of, we don't have like an end of the year gala where like we talk about these things that happen. But I hope, you know, <laughs> I, I think for so many reasons, it was important at that time to showcase, I would say like a content starved community. And those, those platforms existed to be able to kind of shoot this documentary type thing and that long form content at that time was really, really valuable and people enjoyed it. It was a way to, to be let into something that they couldn't or didn't have access to. And I think that that was, it was all those reasons. It was, I felt like it was my duty. I felt like it was the thing that I needed to do. 
I think it was really great for our sponsors. I think it was a huge part of the reason that I felt the momentum that I felt in my career. And I think that we did a good job to help American cyclocross along during that time with the, with the Louisville world championships that were here in 2013. That's kind of when the show I think peaked in American cyclocross peaked that year after that. I think it's really that show and that whole series, even to the stuff that we're doing today, I think is still really valuable and I'll always be able to look back at it and my kids will be able to look back at it. And I think that that's, that's cool. Cause I always wished like, man, I wonder what my grandfather was doing. You know, I always wonder what my dad was like when he was younger. And I never had that, you know, my kids are going to be able to look back at that and have a pretty good example of like exactly how I was and draw some conclusions. And I think that that's, for me, that's really special and really cool because how better to tell a story than to just let them watch it. Absolutely. No, the, the, by the way, behind the barriers, look it up. It's an awesome race series. It really does. It gives a great peek into great. You know, you watch a race on TV. That's awesome. But I mean, here's all this other stuff that's going on. And honestly, like American cyclocross racing has to be super thankful for somebody like you coming along because here's the deal, man. Like, that stuff took time. I remember reading something that you wrote about the time commitment there and the work that went into it and being in front of a camera and doing all this other kind of stuff. And But you saw that as part of your responsibility because you were a professional athlete and because you wanted to pave the way, which we'll talk about in a second here, for you know the team that you run now and just all of these different things because you were like, hey, here's the deal. I've enjoyed success, but I want other people to get in on this as well, which is awesome because there are some people that aren't like that. So thankful for somebody like you that has just behind the barriers, knocked down a lot of barriers for a lot of people, just being able to get a better idea of cool. Like this is something that's doable for, you know, other folks to be able to do. This is how this goes and just giving them a better idea of that. So yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, you know, when I think about you, I think about ambassador. You know, I think about that and I don't know that you necessarily thought of yourself as an ambassador more than, you know, the professional that you were just quote unquote performing and getting results for us. And yay, he's American. But I mean, you did a lot for us on the infrastructure side as well that we're to be thankful for as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I always wanted that. That's true. I actually did always want to be a professional and I always, I always wanted myself to be true. I always wanted to be true to myself, right? Like that's, I think is really important is that the person that you see is the person that you get. I do have my stuff like where I can't remember something or I forget, or I'm like, I just ramble off mid sentence. I mean, I've done that in this interview probably three times. So, but the thing is that, is that that's who I am and I can't really, I can't change it. So as soon as I say always that I told Ellen and Spencer this, when we brought the show back this year, those are my two teammates on our team, Aspire Racing. I said, I said, the second that you step out and put yourself out there and you start showing who you really are is going to be the hardest step that you make as an athlete. Because when you wear yourself on your shoulder, you really do open yourself up for people to make a judgment about whether they want to follow your career or they like you, right? Or they don't. And some people are automatically going to say, yes, I identify with Jeremy or I identify with Ellen or Spencer or Ryan Trebon or Tim Johnson or Svennies or whoever these people are, Katie Compton, right? Or they don't. And people typically, in my experience, follow who they most similar to, right? So if you live your life like Katie Compton does, or you live your life like, you know, Georgia Gould did, then, then you'll identify with them, right? And you'll find their career interesting in the things that they're doing. But if you find yourself being a little bit more ADD, a little bit more wild, then maybe Jeremy Powers or Anthony Clark are someone that you're very interested in what they're doing with their time and how they're living their life and the, the things that they're doing. And so I always knew that when I put myself out there that I would get people that didn't like the show or wanted to tell me how much I sucked or this or that or the other thing or whatever it was. 
But I always knew that deep down, my intentions were to create an environment that was fun and to showcase a sport that truly is beautiful and has a lot of openness to the community, which is really, that's what makes cyclocross stand apart from the other sports. I mean, cycling can be very closed off. You know, when the pro tour riders go back to their trucks and trailers, you know, you don't get to see them when they hop into the A-class. But in cyclocross, it is so much different. It's more like dirt bike, you know, you, you get to walk up to the pit and see the riders. and It's just so much more inclusive as a community. And yeah. Yeah, that's really what I tried. We, I, it wasn't just me, but we tried to showcase in that. And um, I think we did a good job of it. I think that I will, I will say that. I think that I feel, even though, you know, every single episode is the exact way that I wanted it to go. I think it is really, I think it is a good in, in impression of what cyclocross is as a sport. Yeah, super cool. And <laughs> to bring your point, you were like a little bit ago to bring your cyclocross mentality. I'm a roadie. I'm not super serious, but but I am a roadie. And so a little bit more serious of a mentality than cross. And you were like, hey, let me tell a story because we're getting a little too serious. <laughs> <laughs> so there was the there was the cross like, hey, dude, come on, man. Like, let's bring, uh, let's bring this down a little that's bit. Right. You, know? I mean, you got uh, to. So like, <laughs> that was a good moment. I was like, OK, cool, man. Go, let's do it. Tell me about some other different projects you have going on. You talk about working with other riders. You've mentioned it briefly, but I want you to be able to talk a little bit more about that and kind of some of the stuff you've got going on and you're doing currently. Yeah. Well, you know, some people that follow my career know that we have the Jam Fund, which is a huge part of my of this last 10 years of racing. And the Jam Fund is an acronym. Jam is Jeremy, Alec, and Makunda. That's my two good friends that I started that with. And essentially, we give grants and we have a racing team. So we give quite a few grants every year at our charity event. It's called the Grand, G-R-A-N-D, Fundo. So it's a play on words. It's American for Grand Fondo. <laughs> uh, so we made it the <laughs> Grand Fundo, which again goes with that whole thing that I'm into, which is trying to have fun with it, right? Like enjoy it. So yes, we have a ride. It's not a race. We do every year by design. It, 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 it creates the budget and the, it allows us to give grants to riders from our area. You know, a couple hour radius is kind of where the jam fund rolls. And then we have this development program, which is cranked out some really great talent and has fostered some riders that have, you know, you, you guys know us being at the top now in American Cyclocross, which I think is really cool. And it speaks to the formula and the stuff that we've done. The grand fund is obviously the event that we do. And yeah, and I have Aspire Racing as well. And we still con we're continuing to do the Behind the Barriers show. I have a seventh month year old son. So that's, that's the other full time job that I have. <laughs> oh man, I didn't, I didn't know that I knew you had a child now. I didn't know that it was seven yeah. months that he was seven yeah. months. So you're busy, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're we keep, busy. We keep okay. it. Yeah. We keep it. We definitely still keep, uh, we keep it busy for sure. But, but yeah, those are the projects that we have. And things have changed a lot, you know, from yeah, when you don't have a kid. I think that those projects are honestly those projects I found to be a lot easier when we didn't have our little guy. But now that things, you know, we have our little guy, it's like so many of those things are not back burner. They're just they just have a different they have like we have to delegate more tasks and things have to change quite a bit because of so much energy going into having a having our son. That's it, man. But it's all worth it. As a dad, I can say <laughs> I know that you would echo that with me, yes. man. Uh it, it is all worth it, man. So Good deal. Well, is there anybody that you'd like to thank or acknowledge? You know, if you, go ahead and do that now. Well, I mean, mostly I would, you know, if I had to thank anyone, I would just, I would just say that it's been, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed all of the time that we've worked with uh, everyone on our team, Aspire Racing, and everyone that I've had a chance to meet along the way. You know, I think it takes a village, and I know that the cyclocross community will, some of them will listen to this, and 
you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for all of the things that everyone has done. I mean, so many people, it's still consistent. Like people reach out just to say congrats or good luck or, you know, I, I enjoy listening to your story or I loved the last episode of Behind the Barriers or thanks what you do for the Jam Fund or whatever these things are. They all mean something. And I'm, you know, I think it's just a, it really is a nice community to be a part of. And I think that for me, it's, it's all love. It's all community. It's all about, it's all about the experience that we share together and the, and the good, you know, sport that we're creating and the things that we're doing. I feel very inclusive. I feel very included in that. And I think that it's a great environment and I, I enjoy the place that the sport is in right now. And so, you know, I wouldn't leave it any different than that. I think I've been very, very lucky to have the, uh, to call this my home for the last, you know, decade, decade and a half. Yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll land the plane with this because I think that this is something that's often overlooked. And obviously from what you've just said, I think it's important to performance and to being consistent. Gratitude. You know, the fact that you are grateful for the opportunities that the sport has provided for you. The fact that you are grateful for the support system that you've had. I mean, heck, even a support system, you may not even know everybody that supports you, but in some, mystical way you're still thankful for them anyways because you know that in some way they've helped you they've cheered you on at a race they've done something to help you along and so those of us that are grateful for what we have the little that we may have or the abundance that we may have either way it just creates in us this love and this passion to be able to do something you know at at a high level so and you definitely exude that i mean I'm going to say this to sign off. Like, I super appreciate you being on here for those. Like, here's the story on, on how I got this interview because I think it's super cool. Like, I literally was at Resolution Cross with my two kids in Dallas just a month ago and you were talking with Troy Wells, who I had on the podcast. And I was like, okay, okay. It's Jeremy Powers. I'm going to wait my turn to talk to him. And dude, I had this, like, I didn't know you from, I, I had never met you. I had watched behind the barriers, but Again, you know, you're on camera and I was like, how is this going to go? You know, I was like, well, I've got, I've got the kids. So that's a cute thing. You know, everybody likes kids, you know, that's, you know, even better than having a dog with you. So I was like, okay, cool. This is going to get me. And dude, you were just the most approachable. Didn't ask any questions. Didn't know who I was. You're like, I'm, I'm without most performance. You're like, okay, awesome. Like you didn't even need to know that. You just heard that I wanted to have, you heard that I wanted to interview you, man. And you were in. So that just speaks volumes about you and I think why you've got such a loyal following, man. So once again, thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciated our time together. And uh, yeah, man, we'll keep following you along and, and seeing what's around the corner. Thank you, Mario. Thanks for everyone that listened and thank you for reaching out and coming up and saying hello to me and opening this door for me to jam with you. So appreciate it very much. Appreciate you, my friend.